What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the lesser of the podcast platforms like Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made $5, and I've been doing this for three months. So, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Before I start the show, I feel like there should be a warning. I'm reading public domain books and short stories and whatever else. Uh, Some of it may be offensive. I don't read these things before, so I don't review it, so it's kind of just by chance. So if anything in here is offensive, or most likely with these really old books, uh, bigoted, uh, don't hold me responsible. I'll be just as surprised as you are. And with that, enjoy this episode of Leaves of Glen. I am Glenn Nuzzles. Welcome back as we continue our month-long readings of spooky stuff for Halloween. This week we're going to read a short story by Ambrose Bierce, a man who was active in the early 20th century and uh, wrote scary stories, a lot of them because he was in the Civil War and saw horrifying things that he translated into his work. Uh, he's been ranked up there with Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft and has inspired Ernest Hemingway with his war writings. You may have heard of his work if you were in high school and forced to read the short story An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. So sit back and relax as we read The Boarded Window by Ambrose Bierce. The Boarded Window by Ambrose Bierce In 1830, only a few miles away from what is now the great city of Cincinnati, lay an immense and almost unbroken forest. The whole region was sparsely settled by people of the frontier, restless souls who no sooner had hewn fairly habitable homes out of the wilderness and attained to that degree of prosperity which today we should call indigence, indigenous, indigence. Hmm. Then, impelled by some mysterious impulse of their nature, they abandoned all and pushed further westward to encounter new perils and privations in the effort to regain the meager comforts which they had voluntarily renounced. Many of them had already forsaken that region for the remoter settlements, but among those remaining was one who had been of those first arriving. He lived alone in a house of logs, surrounded on all sides by the great forest, of whose gloom and silence he seemed a part. For no one had ever known him to smile nor speak a needless word. 
His simple wants were supplied by a sale or barter of skins of wild animals in the river town, for not a thing did he grow upon the land which, if needful, he might have claimed by right of undisturbed possession. There were evidences of, quote, improvement, unquote, a few acres of ground immediately about the house which had once been cleared of its trees, the decayed stumps of which were half concealed by the due growth that had been suffered to repair the ravaged rock by the axe. Apparently, the man's zeal for agriculture had burned with a failing flame, expiring in uh, ashes. The little log house with its chimney of sticks and its roof of warping clapboards, weighted with traversing poles and its chinking of clay, had a single door and, directly opposite, a window. The latter, however, was boarded up. Nobody could remember a time when it was not, and none knew why it was so close, certainly not because of the occupant's dislike of light and air, for on those rare occasions when a hunter had passed that lonely spot, the recluse had commonly been seen sunning himself on the doorstep if heaven had provided sunshine for his need. I fancy there are few persons living today who ever knew the secret of that window, but I am one, as you shall see. The man's name was said to be Murloc. Eh, he was apparently seventy years old, actually about fifty. Something besides years had had a hand in his aging. His hair and long, full beard were white, his gray, lustrous eyes sunken. His face singularly seamed with wrinkles which appeared to belong to two intersecting systems. In figure, he was tall and spare, with a stoop of shoulders, a burden bearer. I never saw him. These particulars I learned from my grandfather, who... Also, I got the man's story when I was a lad. He had known him when living nearby in that early day. One day, uh, Murloc was found in his cabin, dead. It was not a time and a place for coroners and newspapers, and I supposed it was agreed that he had died from natural causes, or I should have been told and should remember. I know only that with that was probably a sense of the fitness of things the body was buried near the cabin, alongside the grave of his wife, who had preceded him so many years that local tradition had retained hardly a hint of her existence. That closes the final chapter of this true story, excepting, indeed, the circumstance that many years afterwards, in company with an equally intrepid spirit, I penetrated to the place and ventured near enough to the ruined cabin to throw a stone against it, and ran away to avoid the ghost, which every well-informed boy whereabout knew haunted the spot. There's an earlier chapter that's supplied by my grandfather. When Murloc built his cabin and began laying sturdily about with his axe uh, to hew out the farm, the, the rifle, meanwhile, his means of support, he was young, strong, and full of hope. In that eastern country, whence he came, he had married as was the fashion, a young woman and always worthy of his honest devotion, who shared the dangers and privations of this lot with a willing spirit and a light heart. There is no known record of her name, of her charms of mind and person tradition is silent, and the doubter is at liberty to entertain his doubt. 
but God forbid that I should share it, exclamation point, of their affection and happiness. There is an abundance, assurance in every added day of the man's widowed life. For what but the magnetism of a blessed memory could have chained that venturesome spirit to a lot like that? One day Murlock returned from gunning in a distant part of the forest to find his wife prostrate with fever and delirious. There was no physician within miles, no neighbor, nor was she in a condition to be left to summon help. So he set about the task of nursing her back to health. But at the end of the third day, she fell into unconsciousness and so passed away, apparently with never a gleam of returning reason. From what we know of a nature like his, we may venture to sketch in some of the details of the outline picture drawn by my grandfather. When convinced that she was dead, Murlock had enough sense to remember that the dead must be prepared for burial. In the performance of this sacred duty, he blundered now and again, did certain things incorrectly, and others which he did correctly were done over and over. His occasional failures to accomplish some simple and ordinary act filled him with astonishment, like that of a drunken man who wonders at the suspension of familiar natural laws. He was surprised, too, that he did not weep, surprised and a little ashamed. Surely it is unkind not to weep for the dead. Tomorrow, he said aloud, I shall have to make the coffin and dig the grave, and then I shall miss her. When she is no longer in sight, but now she is dead, of course, but it is all right. It must be all right, somehow. Things cannot be so bad as they seem. That was a weird little speech to give to yourself. He stood over the body in the fading light, adjusting the hair and putting the finishing touches to that simple, simple toilet, doing all mechanically with soulless care. And still through his consciousness ran under a sense of conviction that all was right, that he should have her again as before and everything explained. He had had no experience in grief. His capacity had not been enlarged by use. His heart could not contain it all, nor his imagination rightly conceive it. He did not know he was so hard struck. That knowledge would come later and never go. Grief is an artist of powers as various as the instruments upon which he plays his dirges for the dead, evoking some of the sharpest, shrillest notes, from others the low, grave chords that throb recurrent like the slow beating of a distant drum. Uh, some natures it startles, uh, some it stupefies. To one it comes like the stroke of an arrow, stinging all the sensibilities to a keener life. To another as the blow of a bludgeon, which in crushing benumbs. We may conceive, Murlock, uh, to have been that way affected, for, and here we are upon surer ground uh, than that of conjecture. No sooner had he finished his pious work than, sinking into a chair by the side of the table upon which the body lay, and noting how white the profile showed in the deepening gloom, he laid his arms upon the table's edge and dropped his face into him, tearless yet unutterably weary. At that moment came in through the open window a long, wailing sound like the cry of a lost child in the far deeps of the darkening wood, exclamation point. But the man 
did not move. Again and nearer than before sounded that unearthly cry upon his failing sense. Perhaps it was a wild beast. Perhaps it was a dream. For Murloc was asleep. Some hours later, as it afterward appeared, this unfaithful watcher awoke and, lifting his head from his arms, intently listened. He knew not why. There in the black darkness by the side of the dead... Recalling all without a shock, he strained his eyes to see. He knew not what. His senses were all alert. His breath was suspended. His blood had stilled its tides as if to assist the silence. Who, what, had waked him? And where was it? Suddenly the table shook beneath his arms, and at that same moment he heard, or fancied he heard, a light, soft step. Another sounds as if a bare feet upon the floor, exclamation point. He was terrified beyond the power to cry out or move. Perforce, he waited, waited there in the darkness, though streaming centuries of such dread as one may know, yet lived to tell he tried vainly to speak the dead woman's name, vainly to stretch forth his hand across the table to learn if she were there. His throat was powerless, his arms and hands were like lead. Then occurred something most frightful. Some heavy body seemed hurled against the table with an impetus that pushed it against his breast so sharply as to nearly overthrow him, and at the same instant he heard and felt the fall of something upon the floor. It was so violent a thump that the whole house was shaken by the impact. That was a whole... That was just a whole sentence. A scuffling ensued, and a confusion of sounds impossible to describe. Murloc had risen to his feet. Fear had by excess forfeited control of his faculties. He flung his hands upon the table. Nothing was there. There is a point at which terror may turn to madness, and madness incites to action, with no definite intent, from no motive, but the wayward impulse of a madman. Murloc sprang to the wall, with a little groping seized his loaded rifle, and without aim, discharged it. By the flash, which lit up the room with a vivid illumination, he saw an enormous panther dragging the dead woman toward the window, its teeth fixed in her throat. Then there were darkness blacker than before and silence. And when he returned to consciousness, the sun was high and the wood vocal with songs of birds. The body lay near the window where the beast had left it, when frightened away by the flash and report of the rifle, the clothing was deranged, the long hair in disorder. The limbs lay anyhow. From the throat, dreadfully lacerated, had issued a pool of blood, not yet entirely co coagulated. The ribbon with which he had bound the wrists was broken. The hands were tightly clenched. Between the teeth was a fragment of the animal's ear. Uh, now let's see uh, if there's anything new from Penguin Random House. Like Don Cherry's hockey greats and more. It's got a picture of a weird guy with a little goatee and a weird suit with apparently his favorite dog. It's a... Uh, Apparently a number one best-selling, so that's fantastic. Uh, comes out October 22nd. Broadcasting icon and best-selling author Don Cherry is back to give us more of what we want. 
behind-the-scenes sports stories that are as colorful as his wardrobe. For the last 60 years, Don Cherry has lived and breathed hockey. He has interviewed all of hockey's biggest names on Grapevine and Coach's Corner. And he coached some of them, too. But Don's interests span across all sports and even beyond. In this unforgettable book, Don grants us unparalleled insider access to some of the most legendary athletes and figures of our time. Follow Don to the 2018 Stanley Cup playoffs and to the pitcher's mound at Rogers Center and learn how the Blue Jays' Josh Donaldson saved his neck. Jet back in time to meet Bobby Hall and Phil Esposito, Scotty Bowman and John Ferguson and other greats, up close and unfiltered. Discover Don's opinions on the toughest guys he's ever played against. Hockey parents. The role of fighting in the game and the Hall of Fame and who should be in it. Learn about Don's friendship with Gord Downey, the incomparable late frontman of the Tragically Hip and a lifelong hockey fan. This is Don Cherry in all his glorious and frank glory. Spinning his yarns with the best of them. So there you have it. Sports commentary from a weird-looking man with a long history of sports. And apparently he knew someone from the band The Tragically Hip. So that's weird. Go ahead and pick that up. And so that was the story of uh, The Boarded Window by Ambrose Beers. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, The mystery of, was his wife really dead? Or did she get killed when the animal grabbed her? We'll never know. Which is the mystery of Ambrose Beers. So tune in next week as we probably try to squeeze in one more scary story for Halloween.